Good morning and happy Sabbath. It's so good to see each of you here today that are with us here in our auditorium. We're also glad for all of you who are joining online. Uh, we're grateful that you're able to be with us here as well. Um, it's so wonderful to be able to come together and worship God, amen? And so thank you for being here, just seeing the smiling faces. Uh, it's, a, it's a great thing to be able to see other believers and we're so glad that you're able to be here today. Um, we wanna give you an opportunity, I know some of you have done this already, 
but we want to give you an opportunity to um, say hi to someone maybe that you haven't seen before, or perhaps say hi to a uh, friend that you're just seeing for the first time here this week. We want to give you an opportunity to stand up and just uh, shake someone's hand, let them know that you're glad that they're able to be here today. Thanks so much for sharing your smiles, your hugs, your handshakes. We invite you to find your seats now as we continue on with our program. You may have noticed today's a special program. Um, it's along with our regular worship program. We're also enjoying uh, the ordination of Pastor Jim Llewellyn, one of our beloved pastors here at College Dell Community Church. And so we're so happy to be able to celebrate with Pastor Jim. And because of that, we've invited more friends to come here and celebrate with us. Many, many of our friends from the conference office, from Georgia Cumberland Conference, are here to participate in the worship service uh, with us today. And so with that said, I want to invite um, Kevin Kosick to come up, who's going to have our call for offering. not Kurt Allen, and that is correct. I'm Kevin Kosick, Vice President of Education. So I, I was thinking about this today, and I thought, you know, I'm going to share a, a passage with you for our offering today. 2 Corinthians 9, 10, and 11. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. In verse 11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. On March the 23rd, 2020, our conference leadership team met to discuss how we anticipated the pandemic impacting ministry in Georgia Cumberland. As we forecasted our needs, we decided the wise thing to do would be to reduce our budgets. And so we prepared a 20% decrease in our budget, operating budget for the following year, for that, for that year. So remember, a 20% decrease. In January 2021, we got our financial reports and our conference tithe giving was up 11%. That's a 30% change from what we anticipated. 
And in June of 2021, last month, we have a 15% tithe gain and increased giving across the board with offerings as well. So I read verse 11 again. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So today, I give thanks for, to a heavenly Father who has abundantly blessed this conference, who abundantly blessed you, who have been faithful in your tithes and offerings so that we can finish and effectively do the work that God has called us to do in Georgia Cumberland. So thank you, members, for your faithfulness to the ministry in Georgia Cumberland. Let me bow our, let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you so much for all that you have done. We give you all the honor and glory. We have learned through this that we can trust you because ultimately you know what you are doing. So prayer in Jesus' name, amen. 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 We are so thrilled to be able to sing with you, and we're going to sing two songs this morning, and uh, we're just thrilled for you all to sing uh, with us. The first one is Jesus Paid It All. Stand in him complete, 
song is holy 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 it's one of my favorites would you stand with us as we sing to our creator holy 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 Oh 
calling he has placed on Pastor Jim's life, and we're here today to recognize that call. So if you have your blue folder, I would invite you to turn to the second page there for our call to worship. I will read the light print if the congregation would join me in reading the dark print. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As shepherds care for their herds in the day when they are among their scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them in from the countries and bring them to their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the streams and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will feed them in a good pasture and their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. There they will lie down in good grazing ground and they will feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and I will lead them to rest declares the Lord God. I bring back the scattered and strengthen the sick. Amen. Pastor Greg, Pastor Nate, for the fine work you've done, not only in supporting the ministry of this church, but supporting Pastor Jim, Natalie, and Shelby. And we are here today because of the great work they have done together to nurture this servant of God into the man and the pastor that he has become. In 1986, Pastor Jim decided to visit an Adventist church in Florida for the very first time to inquire about his beloved. It's been some 35 years. Today, he walked on to the campus of another Seventh-day Adventist church, except they're together with their daughter to celebrate God's beloved, God's church. And his decision to embrace ministry, full-time gospel ministry for the rest of his life. I was so impressed by what he shared today. I said, Jim, you should be sitting down in a high place, not doing anything. He said, Pastor, I don't want any day off. 
It's not about me. And so, Jim, we're glad that you're part of the ministerial team of Georgia Cumberland Conference. You've brought your wisdom, and most importantly, your wit to this work. I, I know Jerry will agree with that. We love you, we appreciate you, and we know that God has vested in you gifts and skills to transform this church and community, but also what we do in Georgia Cumberland Conference. Now, we'd love to hear from you, so let's go to the screen as we listen to Pastor Jim in his own words. Growing up, my friend and I, we always ate sausage and mushroom pizzas. And then I met this young lady at Pizza Hut, and she didn't eat sausage on her pizza. And that's how it all started. And so uh, she invited her. Her only day off was Saturday, and she invited me to church. And so I went with her, and then I heard this Lucifer guy in the sermon. And I'm like, well, who's Lucifer? So it's kind of scary, but sausage and Lucifer kind of <laughs> introduced me to Christianity. Um, and I started asking questions, and I said, what else is in the Bible that I don't know? And um, I fell in love. Well, you're right, it was just a little bit, and I wasn't attempting to lead him to Christ. It was that sort of place in life where, oh, I had to go to church anyway, um, and we wanted to be together, so I invited him. But that's how God uses initial moments like that. I always thought being a Christian is that you mentally believed in Jesus, and I didn't understand the relationship part of it, and it just became so overwhelming to me, and then, uh, the further I went along, the, the greater it got. I was sitting in uh, Sabbath school uh, with Natalie's mother, and I don't know why, um, but this lady was teaching Sabbath school, and I said out loud, I want her giving Bible studies. And so uh, we set it up, and we studied for probably two years, and um, I wanted to make a stand for God. Well, we find this a little comical and ironic, because it was exactly 30 years ago, early in our marriage, and he came home saying, I feel strongly called by the Lord to work for him directly. And the first words out of my mouth were, I could never be a pastor's wife. <laughs> well, I was working at IBM and Natalie was working at a law firm in New York. And I just felt very impressed that I needed to work for the church and couldn't figure out what he would want me to do. And both my parents are teachers. And I've always loved young people, and so I pursued education. Teenagers crave God um, if it's packaged right. Um, and they want a personal relationship with God. They want it to be real. And sometimes we don't present it as real. We present it as rules and regulations. And it was just fun to see God do miracles in these young people's lives. Um, I got the opportunity to give Bible studies. Um, I probably had a Bible study um, every year I was teaching, um, and it was just fun to see kids grow and the, the, the light bulb to turn on, and they finally got it, and it was fun to see, and then my job was to get out of the way and let them run, because God wanted to use them in powerful ways. Um, we were young ourselves. I felt like we were kids, especially starting out in Greater New York Academy. We lived um, in northern Westchester County outside the city, and these kids, you know, they're, they grew up in the city. They're in the heart of Astoria, Queens, um, where terrible things are going on, and they're taking the subway just to go to school. They would actually take the train and come up to our house or apartment we were renting at the time, 
for the weekends and they would just camp out in our living room just to get out of the city just to be in a safe happy place and we loved it it was just it was just fun when i, I took seven years maybe 10 years off uh, for shelby's childhood i didn't want to miss that uh in church work kind of kind of miss a lot of that sometimes um, so when I came here, uh, they asked me to be finance chair, and I was a member here and absolutely loved this church. When uh, we moved down here, um, her mother said, you know, you can join any church you want. And so we planned on visiting all the different churches in this area, and we came here first, and we never went to another one. The, the biggest um, shock to me, I guess, from education ministry to pastoral ministry is I, I really didn't realize how bad people were hurting. Um, and God put me in positions to counsel with people and gave me the words to say, or I would have a workshop and it would be on a particular topic and we'd come home and the very next day I'd get a call for counseling on that topic. So as God was, you know, just in time. Um, and, you know, I love preaching. Um, it's nerve wracking, but it's fun uh, to see people, again, see the light bulb go on for people. Cause I want people to experience what I experienced. Um, I just, I love leading people who really don't know God. They have no understanding of God. They believe in Him, but that's all that, that's all it is. And to, to share with them uh, scripture and they get to know who Jesus is and I get to watch God do His miracle. Um, so that's probably why I get to see God do miracles. And for me, that's fun. I just, He uses me as a mouthpiece occasionally and I get to watch Him do His thing. Well, Nana and I both want to say uh, thank you uh, for allowing us to be past pastors here uh, working in this church. Um, the congregation has been very accepting, very kind, um, and it's just a thrill to be here. Um, and I get the opportunity to minister here, and it's, it's a dream come true. would have thought that a conversation about Satan and sausage would lead someone eventually to the church and also into the, the ministry of God. Amen. God is an awesome God, isn't he? Amen. And we can never underestimate how he works to transform, to draw people, and to strengthen the work which we all are part of. I'm looking for that day when we can all go home to be in that kingdom made new. Uh, we are glad to be here to celebrate this ordination service of Pastor Jim Llewellyn. Jim, I'd like to invite you and Natalie to come forward. And as you're coming forward, I'd like to recognize the fact that during the early church, the book of Acts records that that church made a habit of recognizing people who stood out, people who had special gifts and talentedness and a leaning towards the ability to strengthen God's work. And they wanted to somehow note that by having these people set apart, by laying on of hands and praying that God's spirit, that God's power would accompany their work, that they would be enabled to fulfill the ministry which God had given them. 
to complete this wonderful work of spreading the good news of the gospel. And so they did services like the one that we are about to do in this ordination service. And we're so glad and so thankful of your faithfulness, your willingness, your surrender to God. And what makes this even more special, uh, Pastor Jim, or I can call you Jim because we're friends. I mean, you suffered through the teaching of two of my kids and survived. And so we, we are friends now. And I'm a friend that really appreciate you. My wife appreciates your ministry. But as you were involved in business, as you're involved in the ministry of education, and as you have been involved in pastoral ministry here in this church, we as a body of modern day witnesses, we see what God is doing through you. And we want to acknowledge that. And so we're going to invite those who are online, those who are here present, if you would like to use your green bulletin, you can turn, is that green or blue? You can turn to the second from the last page, or you can uh, view the ministerial commission on the screen. And uh, Jim, you already know what to do. And so we're going to uh, invite everyone to read together here responsibly as, as is noted in the bulletin. And Pastor Jim Llewellyn, because God has called you to the gospel ministry. And because we as a body of believers have recognized that calling and are setting you aside by the laying on of hands, you will be invested with full ecclesiastical authority. That authority arrives, it is derived from the church, we the church. No higher authority can come to any person. Such honor, however, involves great responsibility. Congregation. The Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim the liberty to the captives and the opening of the prisons to them that are bound. The good shepherd gives their life for the sheep. To this end, I commit myself. The Lord has said, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. I will say to them, the Lord has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from their ways and live. Teach intelligently. I will study to show myself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Teach doctrinally. Recognizing that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, I dedicate myself. Teach plainly and practically. I will follow the Lord's counsel. If the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? When my life is ended, I will say I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. 
I have kept the faith, and there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Amen. Amen. At this time, I'd like to recognize and invite any pastors who have been, who are present here, who've been ordained or commissioned. I'd like to invite you to come forward as we move towards the laying on of hand. I also invite all the conference officials to come forward as we gather around this couple for a prayer of ordination. It's great to see some, some old faces here from years before. We're all together in this ministry to the Lord. So as far as possible, we'd like for you to just to stretch out your hand. You can place them on the shoulders of Jim or Natalie or the person in front of you, and we're going to pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for what you have and are doing in Jim's life, in Natalie's life. You saw him there in that pizza parlor. And Lord, you probably chuckled as they had that conversation because Jim didn't know what he was getting into. And as you have drawn him closer, as you have equipped him as you have grown him as you have awakened in him this joy of seeing others hear and receive and understand the gospel message as you have seen and nurtured in him this desire to to be a witness and to work and to come alongside and to promote and to inspire people towards you and your goodness. Father, we say thank you. We say thank you to all that you have been doing in Jim and through Jim. That is culminating in today's recognition of your inward dwelling through your spirit. And so, Lord, today we are saying thank you, and we are once again setting him apart for the gospel message. Praying that your spirit will continue to work and dwell in him. That your spirit will in fact overflow in him. It will become like a stream of living water that will flow from him, from his life, from his works into the lives of young people, people of all ages, people from all generations, people from all walks of life, that they may see through him the love that you have for them. Please continue to bless his family. Please be with Natalie as she continues to stand by his side. Being the pastor's wife that she never imagined herself being. But even there, you had another plan. And I believe you chuckled with that as well. We pray, Lord, that you will continue to use this couple Bless them, empower them, 
And Lord, when this side is over, when newness becomes reality, when your kingdom shall come, may there be many people who will approach not only you, but also Jim and Natalie on that day to say, if it weren't for your ministry, what God has done through you, I wouldn't be here today. Lord, we offer this prayer to you in the name of Jesus. Let everyone here say amen and amen. this is on. Jim, Natalie, we are so blessed to have you in the Georgia Cumberland Conference. You know, in John 15, 16, it says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain and whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Jim, you've shown through your life in both education and now pastoral ministry that you're willing to listen to your heavenly father, your best friend. And I love this quote that speaks about the work that you've been called to do. The greatest work, the noblest effort in which men can engage is to point sinners to the Lamb of God. As you continue to minister, Jim, Keep God first, your family next, both your wife and your daughter over here, and last, lead this church as God leads you. I want to end with Jeremiah 1 verse 5. It says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Jim, thanks for being a part of the Georgia Cumberland Conference family. Natalie, well, first let me give you a hug. I want to congratulate you as well as you stand here beside Jim in support of his calling. You know, I see that great minds think alike <laughs> as we not only dress similar, but we have similar first initial thoughts when it comes to being married to a pastor. I can never do it. <laughs> but God has done wonderful things in our hearts, hasn't he? And he's brought us a long way. So, I just, thank you. He's brought us a long way. And uh, that's because his ministry does include you. And you have a significant opportunity to be an influence for Christ. You've also been, you also have been chosen by God for priestly work, called to minister to those around you and use your gifts for him. God saw what he made in you and it is very good. So when at times you may feel lost, always find your identity in him. 
I think of Elizabeth and Priscilla, two wonderful biblical examples of ministry wives that can help you define the role you play in this journey. I encourage you, Natalie, to always see the great blessing you have been given to serve God as Jim's helpmeet. And remember the words of wisdom and grace Mrs. White leaves us. Learn how to pray as we work and be educated in patience, kindness, affability, and helpfulness. It's an honor for me to be a part of this ministry with you in this family of loving, supportive pastor's wives within our conference. Love you. My heart's full too. <laughs> oh, there's more. I'll just have you hold some of these things for me. Okay. Now we have something that I always have a hard time opening. Certificate of ordination. And I'm going to read this here. This certifies that Jim Llewellyn, having given satisfactory evidence of the call to and preparation for the sacred work of gospel ministry, was ordained at the College Dale, Tennessee, on the 24th day of July in the year of our Lord, 2021, and is duly authorized under the provisions of the Seventh-day Adventist Church to perform all the functions of the ministerial office issued by the Georgia Cumberland Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. Jim, congratulations. And here we have a letter and your credentials. Welcome. Thank you. And I think we also have something else here. Thank you. And Jim, I'm pretty sure you have a good idea of what this is that's in this bag. It's a baptismal robe. And uh, we're going to present it to you. Uh, never been used, never been uh, wet before, with the expectations that you will keep that bad boy wet all the time <laughs> as you baptize people into the gospel message. Amen. Along with that, uh, Jim, we have another gift from the ministerial department and the uh, leaders of the Georgia Cumberland Conference. And as you can see, it has your name on there, Pastor Jim Llewellyn. This is your Bible. And I'd like to get your permission to open it up and just read a few words to you. <laughs> Trying to be careful with your Bible. And this is from 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Words of a, of a wise, experienced uh, apostle to a young um, apostle. Now, I don't know how that equates here between you and I, <laughs> but I'll read this to you. Words are very relevant for today. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, and at his appearing and his kingdom. And then Paul gets very specific here. He says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, 
rebuke, exhort, and with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have engineers, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn away their ears from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, Pastor Jim Llewellyn, you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry and preach the word. May God bless you, continue to bless you in the many years of ministry to come. Love you. God bless you. Is taken from the most beautiful, tiny little book in the Bible, Jude. And Jude just has one chapter, and the 24th verse says, To him who is able to keep me from falling and to present me with great joy and without fault. Our song is, um, He Will Hold Me Fast.
Thank you for that beautiful music. We will get to hear them again. When uh, I was closing our junior high Sabbath school class, I told the, the young people, please enjoy the refreshments out in the foyer. I'm going to invite you to also enjoy them on behalf of Pastor Jim and Natalie. And, uh, I said it, we were honoring them for their ordination today, and one of the kids said, well, what is ordination? And I said, it's when they're recognized for their calling in ministry, and they can perform those responsibilities representing the Seventh-day Adventist Church anywhere in the world. And uh, one of the kids said something, and I have a message for the conference. They said, does that mean he has to move? Absolutely not. Amen. We groom, we'll keep them. Amen. Now, those of you who are looking at your watches, you're saying, uh, he's, he's going to cut the sermon short. And I can't. There's two reasons. One, we have a radio program. This sermon is recorded and put on the radio, and I can't put a 10-minute sermon on our radio program. And number two, sermonettes make Christianettes. <laughs> we need the full meal. Father in heaven, 
thank you for the events of this worship experience thus far. But Lord, we are now going to focus on your word. Your word is holy. You are holy. We are not. We need your spirit to teach us. Father, long before you created time, you knew this day. You knew this minute. You knew who would be here. You knew what they would be experiencing. And you knew what they would need to hear. I pray it will be that powerful and that miraculous. I'm asking that every single person will walk out of here closer to you when they came. I pray for miracles to take place, that some people will be in heaven because of what they hear today. We ask and pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1982, when I was pastoring in southern Indiana, I started giving Bible studies to an elderly widow. She was in her uh, lower 80s. Her name was Gladys, a wonderful person, a delightful person. I enjoyed studying the Bible with her, and she seemed to enjoy studying the Bible with me. We were studying for six or seven weeks, and we came to the lesson about accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so we went through the lesson, and as we were going through it, I noticed she was a little quieter than usual. She seemed to be struggling with something internally. I didn't quite know what it was, but I sensed it. And when we came to the end of the lesson, I asked her if she understood what it was teaching, and she said she thought she did. And I asked her if she wanted to accept Jesus as her Savior. She began to tear up, and she said, he could never forgive me. I said, well, well yes, he can. We just read that that's what he does. He could never forgive me. And then she began to sob uncontrollably. And when she cleared up a little bit and was able to speak, she said, you see, Pastor Arnold, 60 years ago, I aborted my baby. I killed a human being. God could never forgive me. I said, he can, he will, he has, he wants to. She could not get past it. Her grief and her godly sorrow were intense. Did I say godly sorrow? I didn't mean to, I looked at my notes here. Her grief and her sorrow was intense but she did not have godly sorrow. Godly sorrow leads to life. There is a sorrow that leads to death. She did not have godly sorrow. The studies ended that day. I can only hope that sometime between then and when she breathed her last, she came to grips with the reality of God's willingness and ability to forgive. I have no idea. 
but I do want to study with you today what godly sorrow is. Our sermon is entitled, Good Grief. Please turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we're in a section of the scriptures where Jesus is preaching what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' words are found in verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We want to look at this in its context. In Matthew 4, verse 17, it says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus was preaching about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was preaching about how to enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was preaching about how to live as a resident of the kingdom of heaven. You see, the scriptures teach there are two kingdoms. There is a kingdom of darkness, and there is a kingdom of light. There is a kingdom of evil, and there is a kingdom of good. There is a kingdom of the lost, and the kingdom of the saved. There is a kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God. There is a kingdom of the world and the kingdom of heaven. There are no other kingdoms. And right now, every single one of us seated here or listening online or that will hear on the radio belong to one of those kingdoms. You don't belong to both. You are clearly, strongly, solidly in one of those kingdoms. And Jesus is saying and teaching that the only way into the kingdom of heaven is through repentance. And Jesus is also teaching that the kingdom of heaven is here now. It is in the hearts because the kingdom of heaven is where God reigns. If he reigns in your heart, you are living in the kingdom of heaven. We are not talking about golden streets in the future. We're not talking about lions and lambs lying down together in the future. We're talking about a personal experience deep within the soul that has the residence of God there, and he reigns in that place in our life. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, describes what the kingdom of heaven looks like. He describes what the kingdom of heaven, how it is lived. He describes the lives of those who enter it. And we'll get into some things here that are absolutely impossible to do. Someone slaps you on the cheek, turn the other one. The logical thing to do is to either step away or to pound them, not turn the other cheek. Someone says to go one mile, you may drag that pack, cursing them all the way. Jesus says, no, carry it joyfully two miles. Jesus goes on to say, love your enemies, Pray for those who persecute you. These are all things that are in the heart 
of the people in the kingdom of heaven. This kingdom of heaven is real. And Jesus' call to us today is a call into that kingdom. It is a call that we must respond to. We noticed last week when we studied chapter 5 of Matthew, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We learned then that the poor in spirit, we're talking about a spiritual poverty of the soul, depraved, bankrupt, abject poverty, someone who realizes I got nothing. I got nothing to offer God. Nothing. I need a Savior. And I need him to save me from the beginning to the end because I am poor in spirit. Jesus says that person has the kingdom of heaven. Now, I don't know that how we're studying this is a step-by-step -step process that first you have that, then you have this, and then you have the next verse. I think it kind of happens all simultaneously, but there's a lot happening here, and Jesus can't explain it all, just pow, it has to be broken down. You may experience this in a different order, or you may experience it all simultaneously, but this is how to enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is focusing now on how to enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4, <clears throat> blessed are those who mourn. The word blessed, blessed is translated in some newer versions of the Bible as happy. <clears throat> but happy is not a good translation. The very root of the word happy is the word hap, which means chance, luck, or occurrence. Happy is an occasion, an event. It's luck. Happy now I'm not happy. This is something far, far deeper and richer. It is speaking about a holy joy, a satisfaction of knowing we are in God's favor and salvation regardless of outward conditions. This is the joy that Jesus has promised to give. It is the peace that passes all understanding that he promises to give. This is a supernatural reaction of being in the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This word in the Greek translated mourn is the strongest word for mourning in the Greek language. It is the word used for mourning the dead, the passionate lament for one who was loved dearly and now is gone. In the Old Testament, Greek translation called the Septuagint, this is the very word used to describe Jacob's grief when his boys came back with Joseph's coat with blood on it, saying, your son must be dead. Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, wept for days, refused to be comforted, and said he would go down into his grave in sorrow. That's what's being described here. Blessed are those who mourn. It is the type of grief that takes hold of a man 
and it cannot be hid. There is sorrow and ache to the heart that is accompanied with unrestrainable tears to the eyes. This, Jesus says, is the beginning of the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn like one mourning for the dead. He goes on to say, for they shall be comforted. It's a very interesting word in the Greek language. You're familiar with the Holy Spirit being called the comforter. And this, Pastor Jim, is our work. We're to work with the Holy Spirit to comfort people in a godly way. The word is parakaleo. Para, you know, for it's the root. It, it actually means side of. And you have the word parallel. You have the train tracks. They are parallel at the side of. Para also means protection. That's how we come up with the word parachute. You jump out of the plane, you want protection. You have a parachute. So this word parakaleo talks about coming to the side of and protecting. But kaleo, kaleo is pretty much what it sounds. It's to call, to call aloud, to call loudly, to utter in a loud voice, to call one to another's presence. It is from this word we have ecclesia, which means the church. The church are those who are called out to be comforted in the presence of God, to be in the kingdom of heaven rather than the kingdom of the world. This, we are told by Jesus, is the comfort that he offers us. Blessed are those who mourn like one mourning for the dead, for they shall be called, listen to this, to the very side of Jesus for comfort and protection. God has not promised we will be pain-free. He has not promised that people won't turn away from us and will be treated unfairly and unjustly hasn't promised any of that. What he has promised, what he is calling us to, his very presence, he will throw his arm around us and go through it with us. Very important we understand that. It was 38 years ago that I attended a series of meetings, a seminar to teach pastors about grieving and helping others grieve. I had no idea that that would almost become the hallmark of my ministry, helping people to grieve, understanding what they're going through. Learned many things, but one of the things that just jumped out at me is back then, almost four decades ago, they had done research called weeping research. And they took a group of people 
and they showed very sad emotional movie and gave them test tubes and they caught their tears in these test tubes. They took the same group of people later, they took them into a laboratory and they introduced irritants into the air and they were weeping and they caught their tears in those bottles. And they discovered the chemical makeup was different. The tear from the irritant, the tear from the emotion. And what they discovered in further studies is that the tears from the emotions had toxins in them. And it appears that the only release in the human body for those toxins of great pain and emotion were through the tear ducts. They went further in their study and they discovered that a person who weeps alone gets bitter. The person who weeps thinking someone is trying to understand on some level heals. I know you have pain. It's a rough planet. It's a rough life. It's hard. There is one calling you to his side. He is saying, don't weep alone. He is saying, I'll weep with you and I will heal you of your pain. This is the call of Jesus. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. But what are these people mourning about? I could think of a hundred things that we mourn about. But Jesus is talking about entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus had already said in the previous chapter, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus had already said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, the person who's got nothing. And so in that context, we know Jesus is still talking about entrance into the kingdom of heaven. And uh, specifically, grieving over sin. I know there's a level of sorrow for all of us when we sin. Even for the unbeliever, there may be. But there's two types of sorrow identified in the scriptures. There is a godly sorrow which leads to life and a worldly sorrow that leads to death. Jesus is calling us to a godly sorrow of repentance that leads to life. Let's look at it in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, we look at verse 10. 
For godly sorrow produces repentance to salvation. Wow. That text just preached my sermon. For godly sorrow produces repentance to salvation. Not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Two kingdoms, two sorrows, two different experiences. What is the sorrow of the world? Well, if you think about it, the sorrow of the world is the very essence of sin. And the sorrow of the world is the painful and unwelcome consequences of sin. The sorrow of the world is about self being the central point. The sorrow of the world manifests itself in self-pity or embittered recrimination. And the sorrow of the world does not turn to God for mercy. The sorrow of the world culminates in weeping and gnashing of teeth in the judgment. That is the sorrow of the world. The Bible says that when we lose our loved ones, we are not to grieve as those who have no hope. There is a different sorrow for the believer. What is godly sorrow? Godly sorrow is the very essence of true repentance and entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Godly sorrow is the welcomed voice to the soul of correction from God. Godly sorrow has Jesus as the central point. Godly sorrow is not about self-pity or recrimination. It is about what our sins cost Jesus. Your sins and my sins took the loveliest life in all the world and smashed it on the cross. Godly sorrow causes us to look at the cost of our salvation. Godly sorrow in true repentance will take us to Calvary. We will not see angry priests, arrogant scribes and Pharisees. We will not see a mother weeping. We will not see soldiers taunting. We will not see anything but the cost, my sins, required of Jesus. And if that doesn't begin to touch our heart, we're a long ways from the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is calling us to be saved. Sorrow for sin 
is more than, oops, I wish I didn't do it, will you please forgive me? The sorrow we're talking about is the sorrow associated with death. Did you think it would be his? You did it. We nailed him to the cross. Soldiers just happened to be there. We caused the pain. That was my sin. That was your sin. Godly sorrow, not about self-pity or recrimination. It is about what our sins cost Jesus. Godly sorrow turns to God for mercy. Oh, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. I did that to your son. God says, I knew you would. But I love you. And you're saved in Christ if you're in him. Godly sorrow culminates in joy, peace with God, and ultimately eternal life. You see, Jesus is calling us out of the sorrow of the world into the joy of his love, his comfort, and his protection. I'd like for you to look at Matthew 5, verse 4 on the screen. Let's read it out loud together. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I'm wondering if there's anyone here today who would like to say, Lord, I want godly sorrow. I want to mourn as described in your word, and I want to be comforted as you have promised in your word. If you want to say that to God, I invite you to stand. Here we are, Lord. We've got nothing to offer you. We acknowledge that. We're not even sure we're sorry for sin. We want to be. And we pray by your grace, through your Holy Spirit, that you would walk us through that portal and we would truly have sorrow for sin in our life. And Lord, please, don't give up on us. Keep calling. Keep pulling us to you. May everyone here get to your side. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to be seated.
we have a beautiful closing song for you, followed by the benediction. We know many of you probably know this song we're about to sing, The King is Coming. And on that chorus, the king is coming, the king is coming. If you want to sing with us, please feel free. You know, the first time he came, he came as a little baby, and few noticed. But the next time he comes, every eye will see him. He's coming as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. is empty no more traffic in the streets all the builders tools are silent no more time to harvest wheat busy housewives cease their labors in the courtroom no debate work on earth has been suspended as the king comes through the gate. The king is coming. The king is coming. I just heard the trumpet sounding and now his face I see. Rumble, I can see the marching. 
godly way. Help us to be comforted and help us to remember as we go from this place that the King is coming and praise God, he's coming for me and for everyone here. Lord, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our strength.